Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm Joe Sudbay, and I'm going to be with you for the next three hours. John's out tonight. Always, always enjoy the opportunity to spend time with the great SiriusXM Progress audience. I haven't done Tell Me Everything uh, since last year, so this will be fun. We'll have some fun. I have talked to John. I've done interviews with him, but I'm looking forward to spending time with you for the next three hours. And we have so much to cover. I was chatting with Mike Signorelli. I was actually on his show earlier, but we were just chatting a little while ago. He said, there's just so much news to cover, and it just keeps coming. Of course, we're all still um, just unpacking this decision by the United States Supreme Court, these Republican hacks on the United States Supreme Court, to delay the hearing and the arguments in Trump's immunity case until April, late April. Meaning we probably won't get a decision till June. We there could still be a trial, but let's not pretend anything beyond the fact that those Republicans on the Supreme Court are part of Team Trump. They're on the Trump campaign. And Democrats up and down need to understand this. Legal scholars who still think you can look at the court and try and, you know, parse through and think what they're meaning because of precedent. Over. Doesn't exist anymore. They are partisan hacks. Now, one thing I wish, I wish the Democrats on the committee in the Senate Judiciary Committee were as aggressive with the actual facts about Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito and their uh, billionaire benefactors as Republicans are making a bullshit lies about Hunter Biden. I mean, Look at what they have done with that. And it's based on nothing. All their witnesses have collapsed. They look like fools. Democrats on the Senate side should be doing the same thing, but they have actual information to work with. Uh, We'll be talking a lot about this throughout the show. 
Uh, in just a few minutes, we're going to be joined by Sarah Lipton-Lubit. She is the um, executive director of Take Back the Court. I'm really looking forward to talking to her about an op-ed. She's the president of Take Back the Court, excuse me. Um, she wrote an op-ed uh, for um, Slate about her own experience with IVF, in vitro fertilization. Now, Sarah is someone who has worked on the issue of reproductive rights for a long time. Take Back the Court is an organization that is focused on the courts and the problems with the courts and the need to expand the courts. And and her column at Slate was just riveting. I'm really glad she can come on and talk to us about this. And I know with her we can talk about the what the Supreme Court has been up to and unpack a little bit of it. And look, let's 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 not let Mitch McConnell off the hook. I mean, now he's leaving, he's retiring, he's not gonna be the leader anymore. And of course, the all the Washington perfunctory bullshit is happening. Oh my dear friend this and blah blah blah. It's it's all performative and it's ridiculous. The reason we have the Supreme Court that we do is because of Mitch McConnell. Because remember, he would not let Barack Obama do that appointment back in 2016 of Merrick Garland. He blocked it. And then he rammed through Amy Coney Barrett, violating that same rule. Oh, we can't have a Supreme Court uh, uh, confirmation in a presidential year in 2016, 2018, 2020. What'd they do? Rammed it right through weeks before the election. Let's get on the phone. I want to take some calls. Uh, Mitch in Kent State. Mitch, how are you doing? Hello, Joe. How are you tonight? I'm all right. We haven't talked for a while. How you been? Yeah, very good. Good to hear you, my friend. Uh, uh, first on uh, gerrymandering, there's something that a uh, little letter in the Acrobeacon Journal today had a, kind of a clever idea. Uh, instead of uh, having politicians divide our state up into these odd, <laughs> puzzle-looking, uh, you know, territories, or whatever you want to call them, uh, or boundaries, why not uh, have the borders uh, in the the shape that the counties are in, you know, like, uh, I don't know, she, uh, she was saying, like, maybe using the county boundaries as uh, what the district would be, or as what that, you know, particular district would be, using the, the existing county boundaries instead of making up these odd-looking maps. Does that, does that make any sense to you as far as, I don't know, they, uh, they, that way they, I mean, they felt that maybe those particular counties would have a true feel you know, as far as their uh, electorate, instead of uh, trying to, uh, instance, trying to force some kind of an odd, you know, uh, well, an equation, you know, by 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 drawing up these these unusual maps. Yeah, you know, um, it's a it's a natural kind of that's what um, districts are supposed to be, right? They're supposed to represent communities. They're not supposed to be be done in a way to diminish the power of communities, uh, um, you know, uh, by race, you know, or anything. Um, right. And uh, it, it's un, you know they're they're allotted by population. Now your state, Ohio, was one of the worst. And the thing that's most maddening about it is there have been several 
uh, ballot referendum that passed, I think 2015 and the, another one, maybe 2010, uh, maybe 2011, about setting up redistricting that was fair. And of course, Republicans have blown right through it. Now, there's probably going to be another referendum, I think, on the ballot in 2024 in Ohio to set up a completely different system and take gerrymandering out of it. Um, you know, it is something that has just ruined American politics. You know, um, that one of the reasons we have such extremists in the Republican Party in Congress and in your state, for example, is because when the districts are drawn to accommodate only Republicans, they go for the most extreme positions because they feel like they're going to get primaried. And and then the battle is the primary instead of competitive elections. Now, there are a couple of states that um, we're, we're going to like one of the things I like to point out, um, Mitch, is. In 2024, it's the first time that we're going to have fair legislative state legislative districts in Michigan, in Wisconsin, because they're going to have to do it this year. Yes. And then in Pennsylvania. And of course, those three states are important. And why is that important? You've got competitive districts. You mean you'll have Democrats, Democratic legislative candidates out there talking about the issues and doing get out the vote. And Democrats will run on the issues. Republicans don't want to. <laughs> Anyways, right. I get you know when I you know when I get going about the state ledge stuff, uh, Mitch, I get going on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand. I uh, heard about that Wisconsin story. Yeah, you know, it, uh, I just is that maybe one of the ways that Ohio used to be purple. It used to be yeah. a purple state. It used to be a swing state. I mean, uh, for years past, you know, it was always well, way, the way Ohio goes was the way the nation went for the most part. I mean, years yeah. years years before. But lately, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's you know, it's become you know so red. But yeah. uh, even um, our last uh, uh, oh god, I figure her name now, but she just left the. Uh, State office, but she was even against all this, uh, you know, extreme gerrymandering. Um, she was even a Republican. I can't think of her name on the on the court. Yeah, yeah. What's her name? Uh, yes. Maureen. Her name was. I can't remember her yes. last name, but yeah. Um, yes. But but you know, the thing is, um, look, look. When the people of Ohio get to vote on issues, as they did last August, and said we want to keep mm-hmm. our ballot measure process majority not 60%. And when they voted on abortion rights and marijuana legalization, they won overwhelmingly. So one thing is clear, Mitch, the people of Ohio have a different view than many of their elected officials. And we really need to start figuring out how to match up the idea that you're voting for people who don't share your views. And you can do that when there are competitive races because people have to run on their records. And that's why getting rid of gerrymandering and hoping hopefully this will be on the ballot in 2024. Um, that's right. You, mean, you have these loud mouths of a few who are drowning out the others who, uh, you know, it's 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 these, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't I don't think how is that red? I really don't. I think that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, I know there's pockets of it, but uh, I don't know. I just uh, I can't. It, it's hard for me to believe that a state that went Obama, you know, those those two two uh, two elections would just uh, totally just do a, a flip flop in 2016. Yeah. You know, it just uh, that just blows my mind how just in one uh, one election would flip flop like that. But uh, I don't know. It's um, hopefully that uh, you know, we're coming out of it, but. Uh, 
it's just uh, it, it, it's a strange animal. It really is, Joe. <laughs> yeah, and we but, have to um, and we have to reelect Sherrod Brown this year. That yep. is a yes, top priority sure. in your state. Yeah, he's got a little uh, competition this year, but uh, I think uh, I think he'll uh, come through. But yeah, we just voted here a couple of days ago. We had the early voting story uh, last week, so so we're in. But um, uh, yeah, this should be interesting for sure. And. Um, I just just hold on. It's good to tell one just just hold on. Hold on. But uh, I, I, Joe, so so good to hear you again. I really appreciate. Well, thank friend. you, Mitch. Thanks for calling in. I'm glad you I'm glad you called. It's always fun to talk to you. Let's try and get a, another you. call or two in before our um, guest shows up. But let's see. Let's see, David in Santa Fe. What's going on, David? Are you there, David? Hello. Hey. Yeah, how are you? David here. Hey, hey I'm David. Good. Nice to hear you tonight. Thank you. What's on yeah, your mind? It's great. I love this show. Um, what's on my mind is what you started with about the Supreme Court. Oof. But let me let me preface it by saying this is part of the. It, they say, well, it's democracy or or uh, dictatorship. It's also good versus evil, which has gone mm-hmm. on forever. Mm-hmm. When I was a young, very young, maybe eight years, nine years old, ten, I was looking through my mother and father's books, and there was actually a title called that, The Eternal Struggle Between Good and Evil. I don't remember what the author was, but this is what it is. And uh, the main thing I wanted to say is the Supreme Court, they think they're fucking kings and queens, right? Yep. I mean... They can their lifetime lifetime appointments, right? They think make nothing can touch them. Make a pronouncement like like Henry VIII, chop off their head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's very th- upsetting. The other thing about that is, well, I wanted to extend on that, and I'd like to sure. hear your comments, please, Joe. Why in the fuck does the president have the power to pardon anyone they want? From Nixon on up through, what, Steve Bannon, any of these people that got pardoned. Why in the fuck do they have that royal authority to just say, oh, you're pardoned? That's like a king or a queen from yeah. medieval times. Yeah. it's, it's so, that's you know, I, that, I keep going back to that. I mean, yeah, there's a Supreme Court, but why? at the same time, they think they're royalty. Why should a president have the royalty authority to pardon whoever he wants. That's, that's actually criminal. in the Constitution. That's like one of the... It really does go right back to that. I know it's is, in the Constitution. Which is crazy, though, because, David, think... The, right? When yeah. you think about it, they when they were writing this Constitution, they didn't want to have a king. So then they give yeah. king-like powers, right? To king yeah. or queen-like powers to the president. I have to tell you, yeah. I... Yesterday, when I saw that news about what the Supreme Court was doing, I was so I still am. I'm just so angry. And it, it, it like it's one of those things that it just very it, it's just like all the bad feelings you have and all the things, you know, you think, OK, I'm 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 being I'm I'm, I'm exaggerating. You know, there is some, you know, they're going to fall. No, none of it. They had this opportunity to show the world that the president 
um, the, the former president has to be held accountable. And instead, they're delaying it. They're playing into his political agenda. It's as simple as that. And anyone who thinks otherwise, and you know, you can see these legal scholars are saying, well, what they're trying to do is blah, blah, blah. No, take a step back, yeah. everyone. They are political hacks. And let's not pretend otherwise. We've been hearing all that bullshit since yesterday. All these yeah. talking heads trying to qualify it, trying to say, oh, well, you know, uh, yeah, this is bullshit, right? Yep. It's bullshit. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay, they, like, look, yeah. look, <laughs> Harlan Crow, Clarence mean, Thomas, is, so Clarence Thomas, Clarence yeah. Thomas's wife was part of the coup attempt. I mean, he, 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 like, the money they've gotten from Harlan Crow, how, how, that, that just exists in this country. Oh, it, it maddens me. It just maddens me. Obviously, I'm very worked up. I, I, I share all of your anger, David. Um, thank you for the call. I got to take a break because we're going to have a guest and we're going to keep this conversation. Sarah will have a lot of thoughts on this. Trust me. And she's she's right in the thick of it. And she's one of the people who strongly believes we have to expand the court if we're going to save our democracy. We'll be back on Tell Me Everything in just a few minutes. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. You know, yesterday, like we were talking and several of our callers mentioned, we we're talking about the Supreme Court and how angry we were finding out that news. On May 2nd, 2023, actually, I was hosting for Dino Badala when Aaron, uh, our producer, Aaron Kelly, sent me the note that the Dobbs decision had leaked. And it is it was a profound evening. And, you know, I think it, it really literally changed America. Sarah Lipton-Lubitt heard that news. She's the president of Take Back the Court. She's someone who spent her career advocating for reproductive rights. And it not only impacted her on that level, but very personally. She's written about it at Slate. And I am so really deeply grateful that you can join us tonight, Sarah, to talk about this and so many other things. Welcome back to SiriusXM Progress. Thanks so much, Joe. I'm happy to be here. So what I kind of gave away part of what was going on, but but tell tell everyone what happened, because I have to tell you, you're, you're reading your piece yesterday and I really was it's so profound and it just it, it really hit me on a very visceral level. And I think, you know, many people experienced that evening in the after effects in many different ways. But tell your story. 
Uh, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to do that. You know, I, so many people have gone through um, so much when it comes to trying to, you know, live our own reproductive lives. You know, I think of all the folks who can't access the abortion care they need and women sitting in parking lots um, bleeding because hospitals uh, won't give them the, the miscarriage care they need. You know, there are so many variations um, on this um, on this story. And for me, um, you know, I've spent a bunch of years uh, tr trying to uh, have a successful pregnancy uh, uh, as of May 2nd, uh, 2022. That had not happened. Um, I was living in Arizona at the time, which, uh, you know, back then, uh, was still a supremely red state, mm. um, Republican legislature, Republican governor, um, a lot of anti-abortion politics going on. Um, but you know, we, we had wrote, um, and I was, uh, going through, um, some, uh, through the IVF process. Uh, and at that point in time, you know, had a, had my embryos in, in storage, um, trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to move forward with that. Um, and, you know, stop, stop me when this gets too long and boring. It's a long no, story, it's not. Go but, uh, um, you know, and as, as you, you know, noted in your intro, um, I had been screaming from the rooftops for, at least a year leading up to the leak um, about what was going to happen, um, about the partisan ideological takeover of the Supreme Court, um, the way that these justices feel unmoored um, from any kind of responsibility or accountability other than to their uh, extreme um extreme uh ideology uh so I, I i didn't have illusions um that abortion access was going to come out of the dobbs case intact and yet i still hadn't really been focusing um on my embryos and what um, what the the Dobbs decision uh, might mean until I started reading that night and it um, it hit me how just no holds barred extreme uh, the Alito opinion was just really eradicating any notion um, that I you know, that anyone might retain any amount of bodily autonomy or dignity or, you know, con control over our, our, our own healthcare decisions in any way. I mean, there wasn't, there was no fig leaf left. It was just, the whole thing was, was stripped bare. Um, and that is when I, pretty frantically started trying to figure out how to get my embryos out of Arizona. It, and, and it was like, 
because you read the decision you knew. And of course, the Alabama Supreme Court decision happened because of the Dobbs decision, this Alabama decision on IVF. IVF is front and center in the news right now. But you knew back then. And it was a process. And and a lot of people kind of, you know, reading your piece, you know, some of your friends were like, really, are you overreacting? You were not overreacting. You were doing exactly what you needed to do. And and that's the kind of America we live in right now. Yeah, all I can say to that is, yeah, people people treated me like I was, you know, um, I guess to use the word, hysterical mm-hmm. uh people treated me like i was hysterical uh, but but you know part of um and you know i, I let me say i i did not want to be right yeah. um and i never intended to you know talk really publicly about about my own history with pregnancy it's just not something that i um ever really wanted to do but when I saw what happened in Alabama, I just, I just could not contain my rage. Um, and, and honestly, my despair, it's both. Um, and, you know, one, one thing that a, a lifetime of, of reproductive rights work had given me was a lot of knowledge about all of the legislation that anti-abortion legislatures had passed in the last, um, really most intense period, the last 10, 10, 15 years, um, most of which never went into effect um, because there was a constitutional right to abortion. Mm -hmm. Um, But this... (laughs) This IVF uh, decision out of Alabama, which says basically frozen embryos are children with all of the same legal rights, which is shut down care uh, in Alabama for the last, I don't know, is it is it a week? Is it two weeks? I've lost track of time. Last week, yeah, yeah. Um, but none of that is a surprise. That, I mean, that kind of language has been in these bills for over a decade. Um, so I, you know, it's, we're in a real, um, we're in a dark place. We are in a dark place. And, and first of all, thank you. Thank you for telling the story. Thank you for writing it. Thank you for joining us this evening to tell it because it is, and it's one thing, Sarah, that I, I actually, um, you know, I, host a show called State of the States here on Sirius X in Progress where I get to talk to state legislative candidates. A couple weeks ago, I spoke with Allie Phillips from Tennessee. This week, I just interviewed, it's going to air this week, and I spoke with Marilyn Lands from Alabama. Mm-hmm. And they both told their abortion stories. And, um, you know, uh, Allie went through it recently. Marilyn went through it several two decades ago in Alabama, and she could get the care she needed. Now she wouldn't have. And one thing I think that has become so important that the right did not expect, and you as someone who worked in the reproductive issues for a long time, they did not expect women like you to come forward and tell their stories. They didn't expect Allie. They didn't expect Marilyn. They didn't expect any of this because they have, you know, they have this idea that these are things no one should talk about. And 
coming forward and talking about it seems to me to be one of the most powerful things we can, women can do right now. And it, it just feels that way. Um, it, it, do you have thoughts on that as someone who's worked in the issue? You know, Joe, I actually feel two ways about it. Okay. Um, you know, one is so grateful to all of the people who um, who are telling their stories, their abortion stories, their miscarriage stories, you know, what whatever it is, um, because you're absolutely right. It is really powerful. And at the same time, I I wish that we were not um, in a place that, you know, is forcing us to divulge things we might otherwise not want to talk about, to, you know, to yep. put our trauma on display. Yep. Um, that is um, kind of awful. So it's, it's really yep. there, you know, two, two pieces to it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, and even, you know, you know, uh, even asking about it and talking about it, it's it's uh, I, I, I just I feel almost um, I feel like I'm very privileged when I get to speak to women who will tell their stories. And I feel like awful that I have to even bring it up. But but they for, for many of them, it has been empowering and yeah. owning owning it and and letting these men and it is largely men in state legislatures on supreme courts who often have no idea what they're talking about when they talk about reproductive reproductive issues and i i there's a um i talked to an o, uh, uh representative samani who's an OBGYN in ohio and she talks about being in the legislature and hearing men talk about this stuff and she's like they have no idea what they're talking about but they're making these rules and these laws and changing the lives and and literally putting women's lives in danger, putting people's lives in danger. It's so maddening. Um, so let me just, you know, uh, one of the other things you got into in this piece, which was really important, is reminding us, you know, Clarence Thomas has endorsed fetal personhood. Amy Coney Barrett refused to rule out criminalizing IVF. Um, you know, we know there's cases moving forward on Mephepristone. And Mm -hmm. we know, look, we know there's a Tennessee law that just passed that's probably going to lead to the Supreme Court overturning Obergefell. We, all of this is out there bubbling. And of course, we have elected officials, Republicans now saying, oh, I I, I support IVF. Uh, uh, But there's always a but, (laughs) Sarah, there's always a but. And they had the opportunity yesterday in the Senate Tammy Duckworth came and said, let's let's protect IVF. You're all talking about it. And Senator Hyde Smith from Mississippi re- refused to let it move. Um, the Supreme Court, you know, I mean, I think yesterday reinforced reinforced for all of us just how I consider them corrupt and political hacks. Um, but that's really too kind. So. I know right? it is. It, it is. Thank you, because it is like. It, and it's real. And one of the things we were just talking about, I was talking to, um, with one of our callers just a few minutes ago. I am so tired of 
you know, some of the um, the uh, kind of legal analysts who still try and fit this Supreme Court into kind of an old legal model. Those days are so over. If you don't accept them for what they are, we will never make change and we are all doomed. That about sums it up. I, <laughs> you know, I, with respect to the the Republicans who are tripping over themselves, trying to run away um, from the the IVS, IVF rather decision, um, which is word for word, you know, bills they've signed onto. It is yep. just such bullshit. I don't know if I can say that. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's it's, it's satellite. Sure. You can say it. You can say it. I say it a lot. <laughs> it's yes. So bullshit. I and 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 we shame on us if we let a single one of them get away with it. Yep. Um, and you know what? One thing we may be seeing, although I am not this optimistic, is some amount of cleavage, I hope, between the anti-abortion movement um, and the Republican politicians who have just been, uh, you know, enacting um, their their every uh, every request now. You know, it came out of my mouth and I don't believe it. I've seen people <laughs> saying it, but I just, it, you know, I can't even, I'm, I take it back. You see a little bit of that around the edges with IVF, but I, I, I don't really have hope um, that we'll see um, some solace from that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a classic example of um, represent, Representative Ana Luna from Florida who was signed on to the IVF bill but she withdrew her support yesterday because one of the anti-abortion groups said, we're not doing it. And then she, of course, she does the, oh, we're going to, I want to make sure we get it. And, you know, we have to do it right. You, you, you know, because they're still looking for the but, and they're still looking for the way to finagle it. And there is no way to finagle it. They, it's, it's, it's going to be awful. So let's, let's shift to the Supreme Court because, Take Back the Court, your organization, it's really one of my favorite organizations, you have some of the best badasses working with you, um, has made it clear there's only one way out of this at the Supreme Court level, and that is to expand the court. And talk about that, Sarah. Yeah, uh, and I am I, so lucky to work with them. Uh, it's yeah. the best. Uh, this set of Supreme Court justices have shown us so many times that they are partisan political actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might as well be the legal department at the RNC. And and, and we continue, we, you know, capital we um, as a, a culture, continue to treat them uh, as if they are acting like jurists. And that's not who they are. And it's not going to change. Um, This is the thing that I'm not sure, uh, it's not going to change until we change the court, right? I'm not sure, uh, you know, a lot of people know this. You tend to think of it, oh, well, the the pendulum, it swings back and forth. And sometimes there are Republican appointments and sometimes there are Democrat appointments. Democrats have not appointed a majority to the Supreme Court in over 50 years. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, research shows that it will be at least another 50 um, if we don't reform the court um, before we even have the possibility um, of a majority of justices appointed by Democrats, despite the fact that what do Democrats do? They win the popular vote in like every presidential election. Um, so there's just this absolute chasm between, you know, what you might consider like an institution in a democracy um, and this reactionary or right now um, that sits up there like demigods imposing um, imposing their will on all of us. And so that was a very long lead up to say um, the only way to change this is to expand the court, is to add justices to the Supreme Court who give a shit um, about democracy, about our rights, about accountability. Um, otherwise, it's just going to get darker. We are not at the darkest point yet. No. Not not even close. And it's, it, you, you know, and you can see it. You can see like Clarence Thomas is giddy waiting for the same sex marriage cases. Contraception. They are waiting for a contraception case. And, you know, Sarah, you know this. You, you, you've you've followed this issue closely. They can't wait. They mean it like Last week, we all saw the clip floating around social media, the Heritage Foundation, talking about how really their goal is to end recreational sex. And I'm not making that up. Like, that's who they are. It It, is their goal. And they're not that far from it in certain ways. You know, they've really captured so much of the legal infrastructure. Um, I don't I don't think people realize um, how much worse it's going to get uh, until we make it better. Yeah. And I, I get so frustrated with Senator Durbin and he acts like such an institutionalist. And y- y- you can be an institutionalist, but the institutions have to function and they have to be real. And this Supreme Court is not functioning the way it should. We need to expand the court. There is legislation um, that's been offered. Uh, take back the court supports it. Um, and literally, if we don't do it, if you aren't a very rich, white, Christian male, conservative, there is no place for you in the world that they intend to bring about. Um, and I'm not exaggerating. That is reality. And let me just add, very rich, white, Christian males sometimes need IVF in order to build their families. Yes. So... I, Truly no one, truly no one uh, is free in that scenario. So how can people help? How can people make this happen? Where do they find you? Where do they find Take Back the Court and help help move this along? Because you said it's so dark. I know you do this every day and you know it so well. And I swear, I feel like sometimes... Like, I'm like, oh, my God, am I crazy? And I know I'm not because I can read what you and your colleagues are writing and say, OK, I, I, this my my concerns are completely valid. The, the number one thing to do is anytime you think you're crazy, know that you're not. This is yes. everyone. Right. Because if you describe what the the right is trying to do, it makes you feel insane. Yep. Um. But but it's true. So you can find us. uh 
at uh, takebackthecourt.today. Um, and I can't even keep up with all the different platforms these days, but I think everywhere we are at Take Back the CT uh, because court was too long. <laughs> well, and the, the, uh, it's too long for social media and it's too small for our democracy. Let's, <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much um, for coming on, sharing your story, sharing um, and, and reminding us I, I, what you just said. We are not crazy. This is real. They are going to do it. And we just have to keep reminding us ourselves and, and supporting people like you who are out on the front lines doing the work. Thank you. Thanks so much, Joe. It's great to talk to you. We're going to take a break here on Tell Me Everything. We come back. I'm getting back on the phones. I want to hear from you. I know we've got a lot of callers lined up. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Really glad to be joined by our next guest, someone who joins me a lot when I'm hosting for John, the one and only Jordan Zacharin, who is the editor of Progress Report and a reporter at More Perfect Union. Welcome to the sh welcome back to the show, Jordan. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me and uh, saying those things about me. I always appreciate that. Well. <laughs> We just have to start by me asking how you are. I, I read the progress report and we, we're friends. So you've been through a little bit recently. Are <laughs> um, you doing okay? Yeah, I know. So I had, uh, uh, for people who don't subscribe it, I'm sure that's most people you're happy to, uh, happy to have you join us. Uh, progress report that subject.com has got to plug myself there. Um, of course, because I know how else to start, but, uh, yeah, for the context basically is that I had uh, open heart surgery a few, I guess like a month ago now. Um, uh, March, I guess February 1st. So we're on a leap day. So uh, pretty much a month ago and it was uh, fairly intensive. It's the latest one I've had, hopefully the last one. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, slow going in rehab, but I'm feeling a lot better and uh, I'm at home and uh, you know, just, just getting there feeling good. Um, so should be back to normal soon. I am so glad to hear that because we need you right back in the fight. And <laughs> let me just say, you know, you, you say you had open heart surgery, but it was a surgery that your uh, cardiologist, your surgeon did say it was like one of the most difficult ones he's ever done. So there is that there is that to it, too. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it, it's definitely like you know, it's hard to it's hard to grasp, really, because you're the one who's it, they're doing it to. You know, I'm not yeah. a doctor. Uh, I'm a guy that writes. Uh, and But. Yeah, it's, you know, when you've had, I guess, the number I've had and uh, you know, everyone gets more difficult. And so yeah. the, the extensiveness of it and all that. But 
they managed to keep me alive and, and kicking. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I'm very lucky. I mean, it, it was a, not a fun experience, but I'm really lucky. And it, it kind of redoubles my efforts on, on healthcare. It's the kind of thing that got me involved in politics and the idea that someone, you know, wouldn't be able to go to the doctor, wouldn't be able to find out they needed this, wouldn't be able to get the care they need um, simply because they have a different job or because they grew up differently. Uh, it's it's what's got me as a kid involved and it's what sort of keeps me burning in a lot of ways. So uh, it's it's a nice reminder, I guess, of, of, of the progress we've made medically is just how much you need to do politically. Right. And and on that subject, um, we've been doing a lot of kicking of uh, the Supreme Court and in, 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 in the Supreme Court, which is, of course, um, Harlan Crow basically <laughs> has a few <laughs> members bought and paid for. And it's this billionaire class. And you wrote about this billionaire class um, in Arkansas, and it's something specific, and it's a piece you did, did just came out in Progress Report. And again, I highly recommend Progress Report. It's, it's like one of these publications. It's one of my favorite Substacks because it's like you you talk about stuff that's happening in the states and this effort in Arkansas to undo the damage done by the Walton family, the yes. billionaires, of course. Um, talk about what's going on there, because it, it to me, it all kinds of ties together. And you know, one of the things that ties it all together, Jordan, are these fucking billionaires. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now the Walton family, I mean, you know, they are the founders of Walmart. Um, they are the richest family in the United States. I think between a few of them, they got one hundred sixty eight billion dollars. No big deal. Um, and, you know, they you know, every billionaire, I guess, has their thing. But ultimately, like it comes down to controlling society. And for them, it's been about charter schools and school privatization. And you know, it, it's just, they've been doing it for so long uh, in the way that like Betsy DeVos has been doing it and like the religious right has been doing it, even though they're not really part of that. It, it's an ideological thing for them. And I don't know, you know, I was talking to some people, they're like, I don't really care why they're doing it, but they're doing it. And they spent the last like 10, 15 years, 20 years maybe, just, uh, you know, systemically and systematically trying to get Republicans replaced, people who are pro-vouchers and um, you know, pro school privatization, pro screwing over public schools, pro giving money to uh, rich families that already can afford private school. And in uh, last year, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the, the governor there, signed a big omnibus law called the Learns Act. And the Learns Act um, did a few things. Uh, it raised salaries for teachers, but just the minimum. It didn't like create any sort of incentive to keep uh, moving up over the years. So that's one issue. But the big issue is um, the biggest issue is a school voucher system where they created basically what will be universal e- education savings accounts, which is where basically the government gives families like six, seven thousand dollars to spend on private or charter schools uh, and takes the money out of public schools. And that's not good. I mean, it, basically, these private and charter schools are either like, you know, fly by night institutions or they're really rich schools that kids are always going to already going to or the religious schools that, you know, just like discriminatory uh, at their core. And so, you know, they did this in Arizona, they did this in Florida, Iowa, they're popping up everywhere and a longtime conservative goal. This, the amendment that is being worked on, is being pushed would um, at the very, it would, you know, it would create demands and public schools and and public uh, counties and whatnot would have to, would have to like, they would mandate like uh, universal year-round schooling in terms of like summer programs they'd have to have like special special needs kids those sorts of things those programs would have to happen but also it would create uh standards for these private and charter schools that are getting public money because right now they can kind of do whatever they want so it's uh you know it's it's a tall task but a really important one so and this is something that the 
citizens would vote for. And one of the things we've seen repeatedly in a lot of red states um, is they vote for progressive policies. And um, Arkansas has, you know, actually had some successes at um, ballot measures. But (laughs) you can tell this one is popular because the Republican attorney general is doing everything he can to try and keep it off the ballot because the billionaires must never not get what they want. Yeah. So this guy, Tim Griffin, is the uh, he is the what you call it. He is the attorney general in Arkansas. And uh, in Arkansas has interesting rules. I mean, a lot of these states uh, never really changed their laws in terms of ballot initiatives and constitutional amendments because they didn't need to. But over the last bunch of years, like you said, progressives have started using them, especially in red states. And Arkansas, basically, uh, you have to get your get your I mean, every in every state. You got to get like your ballot language approved, whether it's by the secretary of state, right. board of elections, attorney general, whatever it is. But in Arkansas, it has to be approved before you can even start collecting signatures. And so basically they have until July 5th to collect almost 100,000 signatures, which, you know, wouldn't be a ton here in New York City, but it's certainly a lot in Arkansas. And Griffin has now rejected three different versions of it. Uh, and, you know, for various reasons, like he didn't like the title for one. He didn't like the wording for another. Uh, you know, they have, they're waiting for a, a fourth decision tomorrow. Uh, people I've spoken to are, you know, trying to be gracious and say, you know, his office would meet with us. They've been working with us on it, trying to get the right wording there. But um, certainly they're making it very difficult. And even if he does approve of it, you know, they're going to have only so much time and they may go to the Supreme court in the state, see if they can get some help there if needed. But, um, certainly they are not, uh, the Republicans in the state, uh, would prefer that to not go to voters because just the polling on it is just through the roof. Like people support public schools, you know, and then having their kids have access to good education. So, uh, it, it's the sort of the technocratic battle we're seeing in a lot of places. It's happening in Arkansas as well. It is. It is. Uh, <laughs> it's really. It, you know, they, they, we're seeing some of these shenanigans too in um, Florida as they're trying to get the ballot measure, uh, uh, yeah. uh, you know, the constitutional amendment on the ballot, and have to go to the Supreme Court. And they're all. It, it's so interesting, you know, how they're trying to change it. In Missouri, they're trying to change the yep. rules so that um, you don't win statewide if you pass a ballot measure and again progressive measures have passed in missouri uh, including medicaid expansion you'd have to win statewide and um every congressional district and it's like the machinations they're going through to undermine democracy are really just stunning and, and they're happening right before our eyes i mean it really is true yeah i mean you know it's one of those things where we saw it in a lot of places where they were gerrymanders, right? We saw in Wisconsin, they were trying to, you know, uh, Wisconsin, we saw Michigan, they were, you know, undermining ballot initiatives. And, you know, in places where there's no longer gerrymanders, it's it's more difficult to do because there's consequences to it. But you, know, you look at Missouri, you look at Arkansas, like these are Republican states at this point. And, you know, if you're, if you're going to like support Donald Trump and you're going to say, hey, the election was stolen and you're trying to plot to try and, you know, overturn elections, like... Why, what would you care about ballot initiatives or constitutional right. amendments? Like there is no, there's no level to like the shame and, and the, that they will not take on because they don't feel it. There's nothing, no, there's no floor or ceiling to how, how, you know, terrible they're willing to be. And so we're seeing this in a lot of places and, you know, with the Supreme court we have now at the federal level, I know college and listeners are not pleased with them right now for other reasons. It doesn't seem like there's anything that can stop them. And the only way you can really stop them is like through ballot initiatives and constitutional amendments, which, again, are difficult to pass when they won't let them get on the ballot. 
it was just yeah. kind of this vicious cycle and um it, it takes a lot of grassroots effort i mean it, like they said the arkansas ballot initiative constitutional amendments are very supported by folks there like it's you know 80 percent of people support it but whether they get a chance to vote for it we'll see well, um, you know, it, it, it's, it, I, I was mentioned uh, in the in previous hour, um, there are primaries in Texas next week. Um, and normally, you know, that, you know, people would be focusing on who might get the Democratic nomination for Senate. But the real battle, Jordan, is in a fight, an intra-GOP fight. There's like layers of intra-GOP fighting. But one of the big fights is the governor is trying to defeat Republicans, and most of them were Republicans, who voted against his voucher bill. And the voucher bill, um, I spoke with Representative James Tallarico last year on State of the States, and he was explaining how there's a couple billionaires who want this. The billionaires want a voucher bill. The Republican governor said, okay. He called four special sessions to get it done. It didn't get done because actually, surprising, some rural legislators put their public schools first because they're so important to their communities. And now the governor and the billionaires are trying to defeat Republicans who worked with their constituents and not the billionaires. What I mean, like this, this is this is this is Texas Republican politics these days. Yeah, you know, it's. I, I gotta say, I, I do wish that Democrats were aggressive this much, this aggressive when they had oh ideological God. ideas, um, to some degree. You know, like <laughs> it, it, it'd be nice if we had, you know, like a progressive. Uh, there was mon- enough money, or you know, there's enough like mainstream Democrats that went against conservative Democrats and just willing to primary them instead of protect them. But it's another story. Um, but yeah, so basically in Texas, like you said, the rural Republicans not a fan of vouchers because look, you can give parents all the vouchers you want, but if you don't have a charter school, you don't have a private school anywhere near you, why, why would you want that, right? These public schools are like, you know, you think of Friday Night Lights, they are like the central part of these towns right. and these communities, and uh, sometimes they're biggest employers. So you're cutting money to these public schools, to these communities, uh, to like the center, the heartbeat of these communities, so that like, you know, uh, a, a school can open up in a strip mall, right? A, a shitty high school or an online school can open up in a strip mall or like a church can start a school. I mean, we're seeing in Arizona, like the weirdest, freakiest churches in the world are starting these schools because they get so many, so much voucher money. But, uh, you know, so like, like it was like two dozen or so Republicans said, no, we're not going to do this. Um, even they had like multiple special sessions, as you said. And now, you know, uh, Paxton is dumping like $6 million and trying to defeat these uh, defeat the Republicans that were against the voucher program. It's kind of backing a lot of candidates who had no other money. You're just like these like, kind of these tools that'll go that'll go say yes for vouchers. Um, there's special interests like Jeffrey Yass, who is uh, from Pennsylvania, but is super school voucher guy and trying to get him passed in Pennsylvania. He jumped in $6 million yeah. um, just to like, you know, it, and it's interesting because there's a war on public schools and then there's people who just love vouchers. You know, there's the war on public schools for the religious right that just don't they want to be able to like have public money funding their schools there's people who are just like libertarians i guess and just don't believe government should be able to do anything uh, they, they want school vouchers and there's people who just like i guess ideologically believe that um like there's people who are like financially would benefit from it. and there's people who ideologically believe that you know quote unquote school choice is a good good idea without thinking about all the people who won't be able to go to those schools um so it's this big there's a lot of people who are into it for different reasons but um, all what they all have in common is that a lot of money comes from the, like you said, the wealthy and billionaires who uh, like it for different reasons. Well, and then then the other fight you got going on in uh, Texas, and I do love this because, like, uh, I think one of the most loathsome creatures in 
American politics today is Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who's yeah. corrupt. I mean, he got impeached, didn't get thrown out, but he's facing a trial in April for felony security fraud that should have been done eight years ago, but he delayed it. He's under investigation by the FBI. There's a grand jury investigating him. But because he's got billionaires helping him fight against Republicans who voted to impeach him in the House. Um, But he doesn't he's not helping because he's using all his campaign money for legal funds, which sounds sort of familiar, like at the. (laughs) But I mean, they all have something coming. Oh, man, what a mess. It's just it, 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 it's just it's just such a mess. Um, but let's let's let the one thing I cannot not talk to you about. And it's something we speak a lot about um, and you write a lot about. It's 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 your other job uh, being a reporter for More Perfect Union. And like there's I feel like, you know, I'm feeling so much more pumped about the movement that we're seeing for labor around the country. And there were some big developments, both with UAW um, down in Mercedes-Benz and Mm -hmm. then Starbucks and its union. Um, Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I'll start with Starbucks. That's a story I've been on since uh, summer 2021 when they first declared. Um, To be honest, there's so many people that have come in and out of that company and in the union because the Starbucks has been so difficult and and brutal with union busting and firing. But um, yeah, basically they've, you know, these, and when I say kids, I mean, like, oftentimes they are legally like 17, 18 uh, mm-hmm. to their mid 20s. Um, so, and as someone who's in their mid 30s, I guess that makes me an old person compared to them. Um, so, it's not all, not all young people, but you're really just like led by young people, this movement. This is nearly 400 union uh, stores that have uh, declared or, you know, voted to be in the union or, you know, at least like trying to do so, um, which is, A, a drop in the bucket, but also B, pretty impressive considering the sheer amount of union busting Starbucks Mm -hmm. has done, whether it's not giving benefits, not giving pay raises, just firing people, closing stores, just like one of the worst campaigns you'll ever see. Um, But they waited it out. You know, earlier this month, they had 21 different stores that declared, uh, I guess, on the same day that they are uh, they are going to go for union elections, which is pretty, pretty impressive. Um, It's more than they've ever had before. And, you know, just pummeled them with PR, right? Starbucks, uh, Howard Schultz had to leave because he failed at trying to beat the unions and just disgraced himself in front of the Senate and is just, uh, you know, just kind of left in humiliation. And Starbucks, like their board members are getting pummeled. They're just getting a, a public protest. They're getting just all p- bad PR all around and not just for the union stuff, but it's been a really tough time for Starbucks and, um, you know, pour one out for them, I guess. But they decided, you know, this is not really worth our money and our time and our effort. Just keep trying stop, to stop this union. Um, the amount of money they're spending on union busting and, and bad PR is probably more than they'd have to pay <laughs> uh, union members in a contract. So they agreed to, um, you know, A, give benefits and pay raises that they were not giving union members. They're going to give them to them now. And B, work with the union to, um, so they say, really find a framework for a national contract. And that would be huge because Starbucks, um, you know, because the union basically has been store by store, organized store by store, um, because it's easier to win a union election when there's 10 people versus, you know, Hundred thousand, uh, obviously, but it's also meant that Starbucks has insisted that they, you know, have to, they have to do a contract store by store, which makes it virtually impossible to really get anything uh, standardized. Uh, now Starbucks said, all right, you know, we'll do it. We will, um, we will agree to do a, a standardized national contract, and then gets that gets you know tweaked for different stores or different regions. And I mean, it's a huge victory. It's hard to under understate just how important that victory is because giving up the lack of benefits, giving up holding out on people is like 
the number one, they're giving up the number one way that they were able to keep the union down from organizing even more. And so Starbucks is opening the door not only to a contract, but to a lot of different stores that will be able to organize because people will no longer be worried about not getting their benefits. It's it, it really I, I, when I saw this the other day, I, I like I had to read it a couple of times to think this really happened. Great work by like you said, by so many young people, too. I mean, I'd consider them kids, too. But God, good for them. Good for them. Um, it's, yeah, it's 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 great. And then the UAW. I mean, uh, look, where's the Mercedes plant? Is it in like Alabama? I think it's in yeah. Alabama. Um, yep, it's in Alabama, and uh, you know, there's there's been efforts over the years to try and organize around there and plants, but just the sheer amount of union busting that's been happening at these companies, these non-union, um, you know, foreign car makers that settle in the south because there's no union, uh, you know, they don't have to deal with the UAW. Um, now the momentum is the momentum is changing. I think what happened was with the big three strike, not only were they able to get really good deals for the people who worked there, they were also able to. Um, you know, inspire lots of people who want to now organize and say, hey, wait, I'm making like 50% less than what these guys are making up, you know, a few states north. Why is that? And, um, you know, they, UAW announced they're going to put like $40 million into organizing. And they, uh, first place they've been able to organize, get a successful, like at least half of the people signing union cards is uh, ironically Mercedes-Benz factory in Alabama. That's so great. And, uh, it, 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 in, in, look, there, you know, it's, it's, it, it's not done yet, but, um, one of the things that matters in this is, look, we, you can be frustrated with the Biden administration for many things, but the National Labor Relations Board is a place that has really proven to be an ally for workers. <laughs> that, like, doesn't get a lot of attention, but it really matters. So much so that Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and uh, Starbucks wanted, and uh, what's called Trader Joe's, wanted to destroy it. I mean, they are, they're filing lawsuits to try and get it basically ruled unconstitutional, which, uh, you know, they already had that ruling in uh, the 1930s where they said the NLRB and NLRA were constitutional. Of course, that was when FDR put pressure on the Supreme Court by threatening to expand it. Um, it would be nice if Democrats decided they could, you know, support, they could pressure the Supreme Court, might might change their view on things, as we've seen in the past, but it's another story for another day. But yeah, it, it's Jennifer Bruzzo is the, the chief counsel for the NLRB and has been really just using every tool at her disposal, right? There's only so much that the, the, relation, the National Labor Relations Board can do. You know, they can't find companies millions of dollars, right? There's, uh, at this point, it's like, makes more sense financially in a lot of ways, just sheer, you know, what a fine would be versus what it would be a contract to like, just keep union busting. But the way that they've been able to like change it so that like they have to pay damages to workers, they have to, you know, they can no longer just keep union busting or there's going to be, you know, the NLRB will just declare that the union has been uh, decided and they give them you know recognition. There's been a lot of different technocratic changes that have made it a lot easier. It's still not easy to organize a union, but a lot easier for people who really want to do it to have a, you know, a solid chance and an even playing field, even if they can't mandate a contract. Right. And and <laughs> we did spend the first hour talking about the Supreme Court. And this is another reason why we need to expand the Supreme Court, because this Supreme Court would love to get rid of the whole administrative state, which is also yes. the goal of Project 2025, by the way. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's all coming. Jordan, I, I don't want to keep it too long. I appreciate you staying up and spending time with us. I'm glad you're doing better. Now, where can people find you again? Tell them how to find the progress report because they should. 
Uh, I need to get my own URL. It's something I need to do because it, it's, it takes me too long to say the words. But uh, right now it's at <laughs> progressreport.substack.com. Uh, I'll change that at some point. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get a URL when I'm uh, 100%. But progressreport.substack.com, also more proof of union, um, which you can find online everywhere. But yeah, no, I appreciate you having me. And, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully we see in Arkansas they're able to get the thing on the ballot and, uh, you know, put a big dent in, in school vouchers and upset the Walton family. It'd be fun. Yeah, you know, anytime we piss off billionaires, it's a good thing. And, um, thing and help public education at the same time. Thank you so much, Jordan Zachron. It's so great to talk to you. I'm glad you're healthy. I'm glad you're back in the fight. We need you. And uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Sounds great, Joe. Appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a break here. We'll be back in just a few minutes and we'll get back on the phones. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. One of the stories that has just uh, gripped so much of the LGBTQ community and many others and our allies has been the death in Oklahoma of Next Next Benedict, um, non-binary high school student who died after an assault. And it has just really been just a really hard story. And it, it's a state that has seen its elected officials really target young queer kids and helping us to unpack this and talk about it. I'm really great. So grateful to be joined by Dr. David Johns, who is uh, Executive Director of the National Black Justice Coalition, and Melanie Willingham Jaggers, who's the Executive Director of GLSEN, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network. Welcome to the show, David and Melanie. Thanks so much for having us. Well, uh, Melanie, let me start with you, just because, you know, so much of your work is in the education network and one of the things uh, i have been really struggling with these past few years i think so many of us especially someone so many of us uh, older members of the queer community are thinking that we had created a world that was going to be safer for young lgbtq plus kids and instead they've become 
political the, the, the sources of political attacks by elected officials around the country. Um, just give us your thoughts on where we are and and um, in, in this moment. Yeah, that's a hard reality to hold, right? Like we have um, we have been around longer than these young people. We have been fighting this fight to make both systems and people and communities better and more welcoming and more supportive of our young people. And then we see what happened to Next Benedict. Uh, and it is heartbreaking. Uh, so I'm just, I hear you loud and clear. Um, I thought we were, and I know that we all thought we were, and also fight every day to make sure that we are in a place that's better than where we, than where we are right now. Um, you know, at Glisten, we run the National School Climate Survey. We've been doing that survey since, since 1999. And that is a national survey that um, asks young people uh, ages 13 and up about their firsthand experiences in schools in this country. And in our last National School Climate Survey uh, from 2021, we heard right from young people that more than 80% of queer youth feel unsafe at school. And, you know, we can kind of say that out loud. We've been saying it for many years. It's a, it's a truth that we know, both from our own lived experiences, but also what we know from anec anecdotal data from our young people. But this incident in Oklahoma really brings that statistic to life. 80%, 8 in 10, right? The vast majority of our young people feel unsafe in schools. The majority of them face harassment, verbal harassment, physical assault, um, and that's both at the hands of their peers, teachers, but also, I'm sorry, the peers, but also adults, right? Mm -hmm. And what we see in Oklahoma is really um, a clear example, right? It is not an outlier. It is a clear example of the condition our young people are facing within an institution, within a system that they are required to go to, and frankly, that um, they and their parents face legal penalty if they do not go, right? And so what we know at GLSEN um, is that four things make a difference. Supportive educators make a difference. Supportive policies, right, that do work to reduce the negative outcomes and increase the positive outcome. Inclusive learning, right, that includes curriculum that tells the truth about the world and the people in it that reflects the learner's lived reality, that give it, it gives them a peek into realities that are different from their own. And that student-led groups, right? Peer support and peer leadership and peer activism. Those make all the difference. Uh, it makes all the difference for, for young people in schools. And we know that it makes a particular difference for queer young people because they are often um, the more marginalized subset, right? Of a larger already marginalized community. So. You know, this is a really hard time, really heartbreaking moment. I was actually in Tulsa, um, Oklahoma this weekend um, at a candlelight vigil for next. And I can tell you that on the ground, hearts are breaking, right? And nationally, hearts are breaking. And we both are sad, but also, I think, emboldened and clearer than ever that this foolishness that has been the hate that has been turned into law both in Oklahoma, but also we're seeing it pop up like a nasty rash all over the country. It's got to be stopped and yep. and let what happened to next never happen to anyone else ever again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, David, you, um, I know the work you do with the National Black Justice Coalition is so critically important as well. And um, 
one of the things um, I, I, I know you've been focused on the mental health of LGBTQ plus youth. And when you look at the numbers, it, 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 so, you know, um, it's frightening. Melanie gave us some of the number, the 80% numbers, which just f- freaks me out. But also just the overall mental health of kids. And you, and you think about how hard it is to be a queer kid anyways. And then you have your elected officials, the people who run your state, deciding that you are the biggest problem. It, it has a, t- takes a toll. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, first, let me say that I appreciate the question um, and you all holding space to have this important um, and uncomfortable and necessary conversation. I also want to say, Melanie, I love you, my sibling. I'm so very thankful that you are where you are doing the work you were doing on behalf of our babies, our community and our country. Thank you. I pray that you continue to be protected. Um, and to the question, what I struggle with in all of this is acknowledging the words of a sociologist, Asa Hilliard, a Black man who said, I've never met a child who asked to be born. And there's no secret to how we support children. We first acknowledge them as human, and then we support them with love. And as an educator, as a Black Um, Same gender loving man, I don't use gay because gay is a white male political identifier that leads us into the traps of social constructs created by people without the consent of those who are often crushed by the weight of their work. But the point I'm attempting to make is that we are having a conversation about children who more often than not may identify as members of a sexual minority community or adopt the LGBTQIA plus LGBTQA acronym, but who most often are in schools that they are forced to attend by laws that they did not consent to. And where people assume because they do not exhibit the ability to mimic expected gender behaviors Mm -hmm. So they are assumed to be queer, trans, gender expansive, or otherwise different. And that assumption results in them being vulnerable because they're not protected by the same laws as their peers, being offered up to the kinds of violence that all of us at this point should know that next and so many other babies who did not ask to be born or consent to any of these conditions succumb to. And that results in making the process of figuring out who you are in a world that you did not ask to be born into even more difficult than it otherwise is by design. And that there are adults who have been elected or appointed to positions of leadership who feel empowered like the governor of Kentucky, our leaders in Oklahoma, or the lieutenant governor in North Carolina to righteously proclaim that children that they are responsible for because they took an oath (laughs) 
our trash, our garbage, and or our filth not worthy of protection or acknowledgement of their humanity is beyond problematic. And that next is not here should vex anyone. It should not surprise any of us who are paying attention to what's happening and are otherwise working woke. And the saddest thing about all of this for me is that not only should next be here, and dot, 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 we should expect to mourn the loss of another child's life because there are tyrants in position of power who are prioritizing politics over little people who did not ask for any of this. Right, right. Oh, that is so powerful, David. The, the way you presented it, oh, it, 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 it just, it's been so gutting and I think for so many of us. And, you know, Melanie, I'm thinking of the, the four points you made. Supportive educators, which not always the case. And then the policies and in, in, in inclusivity. And that is something that, you know, state legislation, I follow state legislation very closely. I actually have a state, a, a show here on Sirius called State of the States. I talk to state legislators around the country. We talk about these kind of issues. We get into it. And, and I was having a conversation with a state senator from Arizona, and we were talking about how one of the for me, you know, I, 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 I watch a lot of what happens in these legislatures. And when I see a child, a child having to come to a state house, I mean, most adults will never do that in their life, right? Most adults will never be vilified by their elected officials. And, and you know, and, and instead, children have to go to their state house and say, please don't do this to me. I'm trying to stay alive. I'm trying to just live my life. And I, 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 first, the courage that they have is, you know, amazing and, 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 and inspiring to all of us. But that they have to do it is just maddening. Agreed. Um, and I, I think that on your point of courage, I, I want to say one thing, which is that, like, it is unbelievable the courage that these young people mm. have to um, to insist on existing as exactly who they are in this moment, insisting that their parents and their community and the world see them and respect them and regard them with respect. And then on top of that, they have to go and tell people who know better, whose job it is um, to govern in the interests of the many, uh, that they are part of the many and that they in fact deserve to exist. Um, and it is it's an unfair burden of courage that we put on children mm -hmm. when, again, the adults who know better, whose job it is to govern um, in the interest of all of us, take the opportunity right, to express and I would say spew faux outrage at how dare these children or how dare this community be who they are. Um, and from that hateful ideology into law, right, we see politicians and leaders that fear monger, people who peddle hate to gain power, and people who turn into internet trolls, uh, mm -hmm. who create content that seeks to shame and disappear young people and queer and trans people of all ages from public life. Um, and, and let me just say this, which is that education is the cornerstone of democracy. 
John Dewey, um, uh, you know, a, a father, uh, father of modern American education, um, with all its uh, faults and um, and strengths, talks about how democracy is born anew every generation, and education is its midwife. And so we understand that. Listen, that the attacks on the four core supports that every single young person needs and that queer students in particular benefit from. We understand very clearly how this, um, that these four core supports work. And so does our opposition. And when I say opposition, I'm not only talking about people who don't see or respect or regard queer and trans people as human or um, having the same rights as everyone else, but I'm also talking about, when I talk about our opposition, I'm talking about people who are willing to use LGBTQ plus children as a way to dismantle the American education system, public, private, parochial, religious, independent, all of it, right? They are seeking to, they have anti-democratic desires and they are seeking to dismantle our education system using LGBTQ plus kids as the bait, right? As the bait to say, no, actually we don't need curriculum that is truthful um, and is comprehensive uh, we don't want to talk about the realities of whether it's biology or history. We don't want to do it because we don't want to talk about gay kids and gay communities. We actually don't want supportive educators. We don't want teachers to see and regard children with respect and affirmation because we can't have anyone saying gay, right? What we're, what we're seeing is an all-out assault on American democracy from all fronts. And what we are seeing in this particular instance is a is the utility of the state apparatus to uh, to attack education writ large, right? Young people are incredible. They succeed when you put um, supports in front of them. They fail when you put barriers in front of them or else they overcome the barriers and succeed anyway. And what we're seeing in this moment is um, barrier after barrier after barrier being put in front of young people as uh, my colleague and my sibling um, and my friend, uh, Dr. David John, said earlier, they, no one, they, these children did not ask to be born. And what we are seeing are adults that know better, put barriers in front of children, using them as bait in larger political desires um, and agendas that they're pushing forward that, frankly, forecloses on the democratic future for all of us in this country um, and not just someone like next. Yeah, it, 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 it's so the interrelationship of all of this, too. And and uh, my previous guest, um, Jordan Zachron, was talking about literally talking about, you know, this um, this voucher system that has been designed to undo public education for many of the reasons it exists. As you stated, Melanie, uh, they don't want that in our society. And um, David, you know, one of the things I, I, I was uh, I'm having a conversation. I had a conversation this week. I focused on Alabama, a lot of focus on Alabama because of the IVF um, ruling. But there's another three letter acronym that is a big issue in Alabama right now. Um, DEI. There's a piece of legislation that has passed in the Senate and they're bringing it over to the House. Um, and it's it, it, Pen America says it's the most pernicious educational gag order impacting higher education since Florida's Stop, Stop Woke Act became law. And it is designed to impact all government institutions, public schools, colleges. And it's all about DEI. And it is and it, and, and you realize the interrelatedness of so much of this is is about maintaining 
power maintaining white supremacy, really. Yeah. Um, acknowledging that you said a lot. I did. The <laughs> word that you offered is often the thread that binds most of these conversations, which is that the motivation, the impetus, the goal behind most of these tactics is to preserve white supremacy or more specifically to um, attempt to hide or obfuscate what black feminists refer to as a matrix of domination, the mm -hmm. signs, systems and symbols that allow white supremacy and patriarchy and heterosexual privilege and their cousins to be omnipresent yet hyper invisible. Um, there is a relationship between the proliferation of legislation that results in all of what we're talking about in this very moment. Um, the attacks on DEI or DNI and belonging um, as manifested in the bill you're talking about, I wanna say um, a special prayer of covering to a friend and brother, uh, mayor of Birmingham, Randall Woodfin, who is standing in the way of this piece of legislation mm -hmm. that you're being advanced in the state of Alabama. Um, this is akin to um, at least 100 similar pieces of legislation that we know um, that were titled similarly to um, Stop Woke, um, are bills that were otherwise designed to um, proliferate anti-Black sentiment. Um, Melody and I are part of a siblinghood of race warriors and democracy defenders and equity advocates who um, have been fighting against the more than 600 anti-LGBTQ bills that have been introduced across our country. The reality is that there's not a single state that you can venture into at this point that has not either entertained or codified um, a bill like this yeah. that has targeted children, um, that has told women that they are not responsible enough to govern their own bodies or demonstrate autonomy, um, that has gaslit us into thinking that words don't have meanings and we should use them accordingly. Um, and all of this is really designed to preserve a pernicious and beyond problematic privilege that people who have access to the social construction of whiteness have enjoyed heretofore. Mm -hmm. And while I acknowledge for people who are bristling in this moment because I'm saying words that have meanings and might offend them, my hope is that people can appreciate two things. One is that they will come for you. Fascists know no boundaries and fascist capitalist white supremacists will stop at nothing. And so those of us who are in the majority <laughs> globally, um, who are not cisgendered, presumably heterosexual, white men who claim religious affiliations that allow us to benefit from additional privilege, the vast majority of us, again, should appreciate that that small minority of people who have benefited from unearned privilege for far too long would be better by joining together and pursuing the benefits of things like equity should get there uh, faster than not. Um, yeah. 
if only because we will continue to suffer as a result of supporting people who are doing things to their own detriment. The second part of that for me is everybody is under attack at this moment. Um, I'm naming it. I said that um, they'll come for you. This is from a uh, poem um, that to me memorializes the one of the lessons that we should have learned from the Holocaust. Um, but but the, the other part of that is that there's strength in community. Um, those of us who care about democracy, um, those of us who understand, even if we don't know the term intersectionality, what it means in practice, um, those of us who understand that even if I don't know what it's like to be trans or gender expansive or queer or a minority for that matter, that next should be here. We owe it to ourselves to try and do something different and that something different has to include prioritizing people over politics. Yep, yep. And uh, it, it is, it's very clear. Uh, they will come for you is, and they're making it very clear that they will come for anyone who is not one of their very elite, uh, as you described, it's so true, and it's it's been a, it's been a theme we've discussed tonight, Melanie. I know a lot of our listeners; um, they may have a kid, they may have a kid in school, they may have an LGBTQ plus kid in school. What's your advice to them, and how what how can you help? What where, where can they find the help they need if they don't know it exists? That's a great question. Um, and to all the queer people out there, to all the straight cisgender people who know um, and love, are related to, see around um, and interact with um, LGBTQ plus folks um, and have it in their, uh, in their makeup to be in community with us um, and to stand up for what is right, I want you to hear me say thank you. Um, we need you now and we'll need you even more in the days and weeks and years to come because bullies don't stop until you stop them. And uh, unfortunately, folks who don't believe in democracy, folks who don't believe in leading uh, with values are uh, have taken over many state houses, have taken over m many government um, apparatuses and public institutions and are going through them with a sledgehammer and with a bulldozer and with a wrecking ball. And so what it will take for us to hold the line, right, to hold the line of democracy, but also to hold the line of community and safety and acceptance and our values, it means that we have to get together with each other. Um, I, my, my staff, uh, if my staff were here, they would chuckle because I often say that no one has ever changed the world by themselves. We need each other. And so if we are to make a good thing happen, if we are to stop a bad thing from happening, it's it's never gonna be any single one of us. It's gonna be us together. And so what I would offer to folks who are at the front line based on your identity, based on who you are, um, I would say get with other people. I would say build safety. In that safety, there is power. Raise your voice. Go into the places where the people are making decisions and make them look at you 
as you tell them this is a terrible decision and you tell them what they need to be doing to honor the dignity of every person in the in the system, in the society, in the community. And I want to underline what David said a moment ago um, and put a put a fine point on it. There are more of us than there are of them, period, full stop. There are more people who believe in democracy. There are more people who believe in equality. There are more people who believe that you should not be discriminating against children or against black people or against queer people or against trans folks or against immigrants. You can name, you can continue that list for a very long time. There are more of us than there are of them, but they operate off of violence and fear, injecting chaos and disinformation into a system that doesn't know how to um, to compute when people aren't following the rules. Um, and so it's on us to get together with each other. It is, I think you find your people, find organizations. If you have questions about what to do, how to help your school be more inclusive for your kid or for yourself as an educator or a student, reach out to us at GLSEN. Uh, we offer trainings and professional development supports for educators, for schools, for school districts. We can come in and help your school be better at building an inclusive space where all young people thrive. And then, of course, I, I would be remiss without saying that um, at GLSEN, we are running a Rise Up for LGBTQ plus youth campaign. We launched it a year ago. We know that even as the fight heats up in classrooms and somehow classrooms and schools have become a front line of a culture war, again, an anti-democratic culture war, even as we continue the fight inside classrooms, inside bathrooms, inside hallways to make sure that every place is safe, we also know it's so deeply important for LGBTQ plus kids to see the adults and the community that supports them. And so if you go to glisten.org slash rise up, you can go there and take a pledge that says, I vow to stand up, to rise up for LGBTQ plus youth everywhere. You will also see a map on that website that shows the both the locations where individuals, where elected officials at the local level, at the state level, and nationally have pledged to support LGBTQ plus youth. And so you can sign up yourself. You can reach out to your uh, to the leader of, uh, in your area. Maybe it's a school board leader, maybe it's a principal, maybe it's a mayor, maybe it's a governor. You can reach out to them and demand that they support LGBTQ plus youth. And while resolutions aren't miracles, right? What they what they are is a powerful statement in a moment where there's so much hate and disinformation and things that are just a psychological attack on the well-being of our young people. That statements like this can be so helpful. We also have swag. You can get a you can get a lawn sign. You can get a T-shirt. You can get a hat. Um, Go to glisten.org slash rise up, get the get the swag and show your pride and support um, and unrelenting um, love um, and unwillingness to let any young person believe that they are not worthy. Oh, I love that. Uh, uh, it's so important. And David, uh, same sort of the same question for you. What is it that um, National Black Justice Coalition is doing? What can our listeners do to help and participate in the work you're doing to really make this world a better place for these kids and for all of us, really? Yeah, I appreciate the question. I want to say thank you to everyone who's given us the gift of their time and attention. Um, and I hope everyone hears my heart when I say that acknowledging that our reality is that the vast majority of students in public high schools throughout our country identifies anything other than strictly heterosexual. 
Uh, and this is an invitation for those of us who have not tasted freedom um, to imagine possibilities beyond those that we have been force-fed heretofore. Um, and because I know that that can be difficult, the, the Latin root of the word education is educare. It means to draw out. That process is difficult by design. I hope that Melanie and I are standing in um, symbolism of our siblings and are offering a reflection of the reality that you are not alone in having to figure out what it means to adjust and adapt to what has always been. Um, our reality is that as long as there have been people, we've been beautifully and incredibly diverse, even before the terms lesbian and gay or gender expansive existed, we occupy beautifully diverse ways of being. Um, and there's freedom and power and empowerment in us learning to live and work and understand better together. Um, and so much like Melanie and the good work that her team or their team does at GLSEN, I hope people consider MBJC a resource. And there's also HRC and the National Center for Lesbian Rights and Family Equality uh, and the LGBTQ Task Force and so many other organizations that do the kind of work that we do to remind people that one, there are no lay people in this. We all have a responsibility in making democracy new with each generation and defending the opportunity for children who didn't ask to be born to figure out this crazy thing called life. And my hope is that people who feel uncomfortable or challenged or experience empathy as a result of everything that's happening respond by doing more. Um, and this has everything to do with Next Benedict um, and everyone who loved them. Um, and it has everything to do with Nigel Shelby, um, uh, a person that I carry with me who also died, um, but by suicide after being bullied as a result of being black and queer in Alabama. <laughs> at a point in time in our geopolitical reality when neither are acceptable. And I'm continuing to say their names because too often for people who are not affected in the way that Mel and I are, um, our babies and our, our siblings can become numbers. Um, and it's important for us to remember that, that these are people um, who should not have to experience um, death or life short-circuited or genocide, uh, which is the outcome of living under the weight of some of these policy decisions. And if people hear, hear me say nothing else, I hope they hear me say that the numbers are on our side yeah. based on uh, sheer mathematical permutations. Uh, white supremacist fascists should win nothing um, outside of very few geographical locations. Um, and so my hope is that we can link arms and aims to do what is right and just, uh, not just to defend our country, our democracy, but because children who do not ask to be born deserve so much better. So much better. Oh, well, 
I, I can't thank both of you. Uh, Dr. David Johns, CEO and Executive Director of the National Black Justice Coalition, nbjc.org, and Melanie Willingham Jaggers, Executive Director of GLSEN, glsen.org. This conversation, I have to tell you, both of you, thank you so much. For me, it was, I, 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 I needed it tonight. Um, so thank you. And I hope our listeners, I know our listeners did as well. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so, so much for the work you do every day. Thank you. Thank you. May I love you, Julia, and Mojito, too. <laughs> Thanks so much for having us. And David, you know that Julia and Mojito sent uh, their love to you and to Dre. Oh, thank you, guys. They watched. This was so fun. And um, let's keep in touch. And thank, again, thank you for the work you do. You literally save lives every day. Thank you.